well-run retrospectives can lead to a 20 to 25% average improvement in team performance. And yet, most teams don't do regular retrospectives. Why? It's because 20% is boring. A 20% improvement isn't enough to get the team to change its behavior. And it's not enough usually to get your prospects to decide to buy your product. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode number 91 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. You can find the notes for this episode and links to all the resources I mentioned at secretsofpm.com slash 91. Now, the goal of this podcast is to give you the information and insights to help you create better outcomes. The episodes are designed for you to take action on immediately. I want your mind racing and you thinking to yourself, I can do that, and I'm leveling up. Now, before we get to the main topic, retrospectives, actually not retrospectives, it's really about the arithmetic around retrospectives and how you can think about that arithmetic better to motivate your team and how you can extend that to motivate people to buy your product. But before we get to the main topic, if you're just getting into product management or if you're busy leveling up into more senior PM positions, don't forget there are a ton of resources in my previous episodes on storytelling, persuasion, prioritization, working with developers, working with marketers, and on my website. And if you want to accelerate your leveling up, go to calendly.com slash nilsdavis slash consultation for a free 45-minute coaching and discovery call. No obligation. Love to talk to you, help you work through a problem or two. I'll put a few links to all these useful resources in the show notes page at secretsofpm.com slash 91. Now let's get into it. So as you know, the Scrum methodology and many other agile methodologies use this practice called retrospectives. Uh, other non-software domains, they might be called debriefs or after-action reviews. In the Scrum world, after each sprint, the team spends a short amount of time reviewing what went well, what could be improved, and what they should stop doing. The goal is for the team to be able to learn quickly from each sprint. And as I said at the opening, regular retrospectives have been shown with research to improve team performance significantly. So let's say that I really wanted my team to start doing retrospectives and the team is unwilling. So I might start by sharing this little bit of research, something along the lines of in a meta-analysis of 46 studies on debriefs, also called after action reviews or lessons learned, Scott Tannenbaum and Christopher Sarasoli found that when appropriately conducted, debriefs can lead to a 20 to 25% average improvement in performance. Now the authors found performance improvements in the use of debriefs with both teams and individuals and also teams doing all kinds of different work, not just software development, but military teams, project teams, all kinds of things. So obviously, based on this data, retrospectives and debriefs should be a no-brainer. They're easy to do and they make your team 20% more effective. But this data doesn't motivate most teams to act. And it's really just simply that a 20% improvement isn't enough to get the team to change its behavior. And in general, it turns out that a 20% improvement, even in really critical kinds of metrics like revenue, often will not get somebody to change their behavior. So what does get people to change their behavior? It's If you're talking about metrics, it's a, 10, a factor of 10 improvement, or at least a doubling of something, or having, or reducing something by a factor of 100, or completely eliminating something. So the question is, we know that we can get this 20 to 25% improvement on the team. How can we turn that into a factor of 10 improvement rather than just a 25% improvement, which of course is just one quarter? So this is a general problem for product managers, of course. 25% improvements aren't interesting to people, whether they're your customers or they're your team members. And 
So one of my product management rules of thumb is what I call the factor of 10 rule. People aren't willing to make a change to a new product or to a new process unless they get a 10 times benefit on a metric they care about. So taking this insight back to my problem, I still think retrospectives are a good idea because I want my team to learn faster. So I need to figure out how retrospectives will make an order of magnitude difference to something important to the team. Somehow I have to make 20% appear to be a thousand percent. So when does that happen? What can I do? What kind of math can I do to make this happen? And that's really what this episode is about. It's not really about retrospectives, although there's a little bit about retrospectives in here, but mostly it's about the math. So let me tell you one of my favorite stories. At NetIQ, a company I worked at in the mid-2000s, we improved the uptime of Windows servers by roughly 20%. That's nice, but as I've said, it's not compelling. Even though if I tell you the actual numbers, you'll say, oh, well, that maybe seems meaningful. It was basically we improved the uptime from roughly 80%, which was the standard at the time for the new Windows servers that had just come on the market, to something in the order of 99.99% for our customers who did a good job of implementing our software, which was actually quite easy and powerful to implement. But by improving uptime, we also reduced downtime. And if you do the math, a 20% improvement in uptime from 80 to 99.99 is a reduction of downtime by nearly 100. That's two orders of magnitude. And I can assure you that our customers cared a lot about having less downtime. Now, that's a story you can tell, and indeed at NetIQ, we told that story very well. It was a 20% improvement in uptime, which we didn't talk about, but a factor of 100, two orders of magnitude reduction in downtime. So can we apply the same kind of thinking to the 20% performance improvement, somehow turn it into an order of magnitude improvement? Well, here's one way. It's similar to the downtime uptime calculation we did at NetIQ. So retrospectives help the teams learn faster. So how fast will the team learn if they don't do retrospectives? You know, you can probably assume that the team's performance will increase over time naturally, but maybe kind of slowly. So let's call it 2%. So if retrospectives increase that rate to 20%, you get a factor of 10 right there. So with the data, instead of saying, my team is going to get 20% more effective, I can say, I recommend the team start doing retrospectives. Your performance will improve 10 times faster. Retrospectives accelerate the team's learning, and they accelerate it by a factor of 10. Now, that's a much better pitch, and learning faster is a benefit that most teams consider important. So how does a factor of 10 faster learning increase the bottom line or affect the bottom line? So let's make actually the problem a little harder. I don't just want the team to do retrospectives, which are free. I want the company to buy the team a tool to support retrospectives, which isn't free. And unfortunately, the execs don't care that much about team learning, no matter what they say about the company's people are our most important asset or whatever. So I have to go to the next step. I need to show a dollars and cents business benefit for retrospectives for improving performance 10 times faster. So what happens when you accelerate your learning by a factor of 10? Well, the whole point of having a higher performing team is to release higher quality products faster. And what happens when you introduce higher quality products to market faster? you get more revenue faster. Now, what happens when you get more revenue faster, but with the same team and the same level of effort? Well, all of that additional revenue goes straight to the bottom line. So your profit grows, and it grows faster than it would have. So if you put some numbers around that, let's say that improving the team's performance results in a 10% improvement in time to market. 
which results in a 10% improvement in being able to close sales. So in any period, I get 10% more sales than I would have because of the fact that the team is delivering faster and better stuff. Let's also assume that our profit margin was 5% before. So if I sold $10 million of software, our quarterly profit would be $500,000. So 5% profit margin on $10 million, that's a half a million dollars is what your profit margin is, or your profit is. With my improved team performance, all the costs are the same, except I'm also spending a little bit more on a tool. Let's say that's $3,000 per quarter on a tool for retrospectives. Otherwise, all I'm doing differently is having another short meeting every t few weeks. I didn't add anyone to the team. I didn't add any additional costs. But now my revenue, because I'm improving everything by 10%, my revenue is now $11 million in the quarter because I got a better product to market faster. My profit margin, or my profit, has now gone to 1,497,000, which is 1,500,000 minus the $3,000 I'm spending on the tool. Improving the team's performance by 20% tripled my profits. But wait, you know, tripling is one thing. So this is a company that's already somewhat profitable, 5% profit margin. What if a company is barely profitable? What if the profit margin is only 1% before improving the team? Well, then improving the team's performance using retrospectives could potentially increase my profits by a factor of 10 or more. And if the company was not profitable before I improved the team's performance, improving the team's performance could move it actually into profitability. This is simply because, because the team is doing retrospectives, they're building better stuff, it's got higher quality, they're doing it faster, they're probably making better decisions. That means customers are going to be happier, that means customers are going to buy more, and it means we can sell it faster. And that is going to increase our revenue, and it's going to increase our profits. So, going back to this pitch I originally wanted to do to pitch retrospectives in my company, I'm going to use these ideas. If we implement retrospectives in a good retrospective tool, the team will learn 10 times faster, therefore we will get better quality products to market faster, and the result will be as much as 10 times the profits. So I illustrated this powerful idea in terms of retrospectives, but you can use the same approach to justify and get investment in many other kinds of improvements. So how do you do this? Well, you, one way to do it, and this is a sort of a roughed out, a rough algorithm, is you find the baseline, call it X. The, the baseline in my example was the rate at which the team is improving without doing retrospectives. So they'll naturally improve some, but not as much. So let's say it's 2% in my example, and this is let's say per year. So then find the improvement to the baseline, call it Y. For retrospectives, it's 20% per year. And then you figure out what's the ratio between the improvement and the baseline. That's X divided by Y. For retrospectives, it's 10. Actually, it's Y divided by X. For retrospectives, it's 10. This means that in the retrospective case, the team is getting better 10 times faster. Because what we're thinking about is the rate at which they're improving. So the optional next step. So, I mean, you've already gotten a lot a long way just by thinking about turning that 20% into a factor of 10. And that's a powerful argument right there. But the next step is to say, what does that ten, factor of 10 improvement mean in terms of business results? And there are a few big ways to improve the business. You can get to market faster. You can win more of the deals you get into. You can get into more deals. You can open a new segment. You can increase the total addressable market. You can beat the competitors better. Improving the effectiveness of the development team can impact any or all of those different ways of making more money. So 
if the development team is more effective, you're probably going to start making more money through some of those methods, if all else being equal. So the next step, of course, is then figuring out how impacting one or more of those factors affects revenues and profits. And especially for profits, and especially if you're starting at a point of low profits, you can often get amazing multipliers for just improving your processes a little bit. So I'm wondering how you pitch value, if this, is a, if this example resonates with you at all. I want to give you some takeaways from this. Retrospectives are obviously good. I mean, the 20% 20 improvement should be motivating enough, but even, even if it's not, the factor of 10 improvement in the speed of learning, that is actually pretty good. I mean, rationally and realistically, a 20% improvement is awesome. But since it's actually a 10 factor of 10 improvement in acceleration, it's even better. So 10 and 20% improvements are boring from a persuasion standpoint. No one really cares. So you need to figure out how to make a 10% improvement into a factor of 10 improvement. And as you listen to some of my other episodes about persuasion, and I'll put some links in the show notes, it turns out that numbers are not that persuasive at best. A factor of 10 improvement is way more impressive than a percentage improvement. But you also want to get some other stuff into your, into your persuasion techniques as well, not just numbers. The third point is improving revenue a little bit while keeping everything else equal can have a very big impact, especially on profits. And these kinds of improvements that give you a lot of leverage and revenue and therefore profits are very worthwhile investments. Not just retrospective tools, but product management tools can have a similar impact on profits by improving the effectiveness of the product management organization, meaning helping us make better product decisions, prioritizing better, doing better market discovery, making decisions faster, including more information into our decisions, having better data that feeds our decisions, and many other categories. I think one of the most powerful things you can use product management tools for is for tracking the input you get from the market when you do market discovery and customer discovery, because it's really easy to forget what you heard from a customer when you talked to them three months ago. And if some other customer that you talked to last week said something similar and you don't remember that another customer three months ago told you something, you might miss out on a really important signal that might indicate a product capability that could make your product a lot more valuable to the market. So those kinds of tools I think are really valuable. So I hope you found this episode and the ideas in this episode interesting, not just about retrospectives, but about how to do this interesting math. It's one of my favorite topics. I'm, I'm actually kind of a numbers geek, although if you listen to the podcast, you know that I'm normally pretty negative about kind of simplistic approaches to analytics and so-called metrics. And the reason for my negativity is that I do know numbers and statistics and uncertainty. And so that gives me, I sort of have a basis from which to think about these things. Now, in fact, in an upcoming episode, I'm going to talk about the most powerful analytical computer we have available to us, which, of course, is the one between our ears. The current focus on trying to use analytics tools to drive every decision in product management, I believe, is quite misdirected, given the power of the wetware we all carry around. And, of course, that wetware does have some glitches that we need to be aware of and mitigate against. And that's a whole set of books and podcast episodes in itself. Now, if you have comments or complaints on this episode or any other episode, you can drop me a line on the site at secretsofpm.com slash 91, or let me know on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Nils Davis on both. Don't forget to follow me there if you like. And 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your player of choice if you haven't already, and be sure to share this episode with your friends and or enemies, depending on how you felt about it. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.